Well, we are continuing in our sermon series called The Gospel Rhythms. We began just last week. The Gospel Rhythms, as I introduced last week, if you were here, they are six core spiritual habits, we'll call them, that are meant to form our everyday lives around the gospel and around mission. So the plan here is to do six sermons. We're going to look at each one of these one at a time. And if we can take that slide and put it up. There's Brian, but where's Katie? I was looking for her. Is she here? All right. We'll do it. We'll do it afterward or something. So these are the six gospel rhythms. Give, open, Sabbath, pray, engage, and listen. We're going to be looking at these one at a time. I'll preach a sermon on each of these. We have study guides. Our community groups are going through these, and you can find them online if you're not connected to a community group. And I want to encourage you to take what I have to say and and what the scriptures have to say about this rhythm and take some time to apply it using one of those study guides. And then part two of our plan is for the next six months as a church. We're going to take one of these rhythms at a time, and they'll be our rhythm of the month. So we're going to have a rhythm of the month all the way from January to June. And January's rhythm of the month, as I talked about last week, is learning to listen. Learning to listen consistently and meditatively to the scriptures. So we're going to be growing and stretching and practicing that this month. So this sermon series, I hope for my Christian friends here, I hope it's an opportunity for you maybe to establish new rhythms. Maybe new spiritual habits, or maybe it's to reinvigorate the rhythms you already have that orient your life more fully around the gospel. And if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, you're somewhat new to Jesus and what this is all about, I hope this series will be helpful for you to help answer the question, if I do choose to become a follower of Jesus, what does that look like? How will that impact my life? What do I need What what does it look like to follow after him, and how does it work? Last week, I shared, as I introduced this sermon series, a musical illustration to explain the importance of rhythms, rhythms in our lives. So in order to have a song come to life, you need at least three things for a good song, right? You need the lyrics of the song, you need the music or the notes, and you also need to have the rhythm. It has to be played in the right rhythm. It's the same thing for the gospel to come to life in our souls. We need the music. We need the truth of the scriptures of the gospel. We need the, the notes. We need the emotions and the, the music to come alive in our hearts. But we also need patterns and practices to shape our lives around grace in order to grow in grace. Now, I want to expand on this illustration this morning to help us see how these rhythms relate to our mission as Christians? How do these things impact the way that we are called to draw others to consider Jesus? So have you ever observed someone dancing and you see the way they're dancing, they're singing a song, they're dancing, and maybe you would say they're attempting to dance because your observation of that person is, man, that person has no rhythm. I'm not going to dance to prove either way whether I have rhythm or not right now. But you all seen somebody who's dancing, and you're like, that's not right. That, that is off. They might be singing in perfect pitch. 
They have all the words right to the song, but the way that their body is moving in response to the music, you're saying, no, no, that doesn't match. As Christians, we can have the right words, the right theology, lyrics. We can have something that's meaningful to our own hearts. We can have the song and the music of the gospel in our hearts. But if our everyday lives and the practices of our lives don't correspond to these beliefs, then something is happening that creates a disconnect. And at the very least, for those who are observing or those who are interested in Christianity, it doesn't attract them if our dance is off. And at the very worst, it can repel them away if the dance is so out of sync with what we profess to believe. There's a professor of social ethics at Asbury Seminary named Christine Pohl, and I want to share what she had to say, and we can put that quote up on the screen as well. She said, the character of our shared life as congregations, communities, and families has the power to draw people to the kingdom or to push them away. How we live together is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. Very provocative statement. You could say in our language that we're using now that the rhythms are how the doctrine that we believe becomes the dance of our lives. And as the church, the way that we live, the way that we embody these rhythms, she says, is the most persuasive sermon we'll ever get to preach. Now, I wouldn't pit uh, our lives and, and the way of life that we have as a church against the power of the word itself and the gospel. I think those things go together. But if the, the Apostle Peter, whom we just read from, 1 Peter 4, if he met Christine Pohl here, I think he would say, yeah, that was what I was trying to say in chapter 4 of my first letter, verses 8 through 10, which we just read. Is that where you got that? The context for 1 Peter, as we're jumping in to this passage that we read, and we'll be looking at this this morning, we need to get some of the context first before we jump into the details. 1 Peter is a very important resource for us to look to if we're asking how can we live our lives according to gospel rhythms and gospel practices while at the same time living in a culture that lives according to very different practices and rhythms, sometimes that are in opposition to the type of habits and rhythms we're trying to develop in our own lives. Peter wrote his letter, the whole of 1 Peter, to encourage these Christians to help them answer that question and to encourage them to persevere and to commit to live a life that reflects God's holiness and God's beauty, even when it was different, even where it was weird, and even where it was hard. He said, keep going. This is how you reflect the glory and the beauty of God to others. This for you will be the source of true joy, and it will bring good to your neighbors and to the world. So today's message is going to be on what was read by Lori just a few minutes ago. and What Peter said was the above all, the top priority rhythm of life, what they needed to put at the top of the list to learn. And I would say... And rephrase what Peter said, that he was saying to them, you need to learn the rhythm of open, of opening your lives to community and hospitality. So we're going to look at his passage um, under three points, and you have them there in your outline. Number one, why do we need to open our lives? Number two, what does it look like to open our lives? And number three, how do we do it? 
How do we open our lives to community and hospitality? So first, why do we need to open our lives? In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, if you look at that first verse, there in your bulletin, verse 8, he gives us two reasons why we need to open up our lives to community. Number one, first reason he says, love always comes first. Two, love covers many sins. So let's look at those one at a time. Love always comes first. He says in verse 8, above all, above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly. So in chapter 4, Peter is kind of coming to the end of his letter. And as he said a lot of things, he's stopping at this point in 1 Peter to pause and to summarize. And he says, above all things, If you have one takeaway from what I have to say to you in this letter, keep loving one another. Peter isn't the only one who said something like this. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 said, above all, same thing, put on love. And Jesus said this was part two of the greatest commandment, love God and love neighbor. He said in John 13, I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you by this All men will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. So the Bible is pretty unanimous on this in saying love always comes first. This means then at the top of our to-do list every day. I don't know if you like to make lists if you're list people, but Peter is saying this is the above all. Today, when you write down your to-do list, you should write down first. First thing, keep loving people earnestly. Now, for me, that's very convicting. I like lists. I like to make to-do lists. And when I look at that, often what's behind and underneath and forming my to-do list is I come first. I'll put me down on my to-do list first and the things that I need to get done and the things that I think will bring me the most satisfaction. I was at a conference a number of years ago, and the conference was called Your Walk with God is a Community Project. The speaker was a guy named Paul Tripp, who I appreciate very much. And at the conference, he said this little phrase that stuck with me ever since. He said, sin is antisocial. Sin is antisocial. That there is a dynamic within sin that it not only seeks to separate us from God, but to separate us from each other. From other people. And the way sin works is it sells us independence, but gives us isolation. It promises us liberty, but instead gives us loneliness. I have a little game I want to play right now with a quote. The game is called, When Do You Think This Was Written? And so let's get the quote up that says, When Was This Written? And we'll read it along. Sociologists said this, we seek a private house, a private means of transportation, a private garden and a do-it-yourself skills of every kind. An enormous technology seems to have set itself to the task of making it unnecessary for one human being to ask anything of another in the course of going about his daily business. Even within the family, Americans are unique in their feeling that each member should have a separate room, phone, TV, and car. We seek more and more privacy and feel more and more alienated and lonely when we get it. 
I don't know if that rings true of your experience today, but when do you think that was written? And you know it's a little bit of a trick question, but that was written in 1970, long before the era of the cell phone and other types of technology. This sociologist saw this trend at work. Peter's in part saying this is why we need to be reminded that love comes first above all people, above all things, love people, above all things, pursue community. Because the more we isolate ourselves from each other, the more we feel the pain of the disconnect. This quote comes from a book I was reading this week by these two Harvard psychiatrists. Their uh, their names are Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz. They wrote a book called The Lonely American. And in this book, they're observing this alarming breakdown of community in America. And there's one study that they reference. This is a little bit dated, but the study looked at the dates 1985 to 2004. And it said, the number of people with whom the average American discussed important matters over these years dropped from three people to two people. But even more alarming was the number of people who said there was no one in their lives with whom they could discuss important matters with jumped all the way up to 25% of Americans. And they observe in this book as psychiatrists that disconnection and lack of connection to any meaningful community leads to diminished health, shorter lifespan, decreased levels of happiness, increased aggression, increased depression, addiction, and strain on marriages. Towards the end of the book, they say they so believe in the power of meaningful community that they, w- they said this, it's true, if everyone followed our advice and sought out meaningful community, then we'd be out of a job. As far as I know, they're not people of faith, they're not Christians, but they say this is the power of having meaningful community in our lives. And so above all, these psychiatrists say, these sociologists say, above all, Give priority to community. And that just confirms the spiritual priority that Peter is pointing out. He says, above all, open your life to a gospel-centered community because it's only in this one another community that God works to make our lives whole and even more holy. Love comes first, this first reason. The second reason supports that. He says in verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, because love covers many sins. What does that mean? Love covers many sins. We know that Peter isn't saying that the love that we have for each other atones for our sins. That's Jesus' perfect work and not the work we do for each other. But what does it mean? This is an allusion to Proverbs 10.12. In Proverbs 10.12, it says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. What Peter is saying is that the forgiving love of others is like a blanket or a lid that keeps sin from stirring up and wreaking more havoc in our lives and in the lives of other people. That that's how love works in community, like that blanket or lid. One of the main reasons we close off our lives to each other and to community is because of our wounds, because of our scars right? Because of our faults, our failures, because of our flaws. And we don't want people to see these things. 
We're afraid of opening up our lives to others honestly as we are. We struggle with that. I know I struggle with that. And if we do, Peter says, we'll miss out on one of the most important aspects of community, this covering of sin. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like this. To love one, to love another person, to love someone means to say to them, I don't see you as a sinner. I don't see you as broken and wounded and flawed as a failure. I see you as God sees you in Christ. I see you covered in the righteousness of Christ. Even when you wrong and hurt me, I'm going to put that into practice with forgiveness. When a community can commit to that, when a community can be a covering community, this becomes powerful, powerfully healing and grace-filled place. A place where we learn that it's not our, our sin, it's not our wounds, it's not our flaws, it's not our failures that define us. They don't make up our identity, but our identity is found in Christ, and we learn that in this kind of loving community. And so a rule for community in the church is, then for us, don't pretend. Don't try to cover our own sins by acting put together. Don't try to cover our own sins by the masks that we wear. Peter says, no, we need to open our lives, all of our lives, so the cover of the gospel can be put on our sin by the work of a forgiving and loving community. So Peter says love comes first, and love covers a multitude of sins. That's why we need to open up our lives to community. Second point. In verse 9, Peter shows us what it looks like for us to open up our lives. He says, show hospitality to one another. So understand how this gives us a very concrete and practical picture of what an open life looks like. First, we need to define what hospitality is. We have the phrase that we use, the hospitality industry for hotels and restaurants and that kind of thing. And we use the word sometimes hospitality for fancy parties and inviting guests over and making everything look wonderful and presentable. Hospitality in the Bible is neither of those two things. It's a very simple thing that anyone can do. The word for hospitality is philozenos. And if you just translate it literally, it means love of strangers. We have the word xenophobia, which is fear of strangers. This is philozenos, love of strangers. Hospitality is how strangers move from strangers to become more like family. Let me share a definition, my working definition of hospitality. I have a long one and a shorter one. Hospitality, and you can put that up there on the, on the screens, has four elements. It's generously and regularly sharing your time, space, and things with an open heart and attitude, seeking to turn strangers into brothers and sisters and friends out of gratitude and joy for Jesus' radical welcome to us. There's a lot there, but it has to do with opening up our lives. The shorter definition would be the three S's of our lives, our schedule, our space, and our stuff. Opening our schedule, our space, and our stuff to invest in building relationships. And that is challenging. We invest so much of ourselves in building our own time 
having our own time, having our own space, and having our own stuff. And often that leads us to close ourselves off to community, build a little comfort zone for ourselves where we don't have to be bothered by inconvenience. Who knows the name Marcus Pearson? Nobody? Marcus Pearson. He is the creator of the game Minecraft. Who knows the game Minecraft? Yes, I see our middle schoolers enthusiastically raising their hands. So two years ago, you may have heard this, person sold Minecraft to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Just a little bit of cashing out there. He bought a 70, right after that, he bought a $70 million home, mansion in Beverly Hills. He began partying with famous people and celebrities. So a year ago on, on Twitter, he's, he started to share these tweets about how empty he was feeling. Here's a couple of the tweets he sent out just to the world. He said, I'm hanging out in Ibiza, I don't know where that is, with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. And then he said, the problem with getting everything you run out, the problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying, and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. He had all the time in the world with his schedule. He had his own space, $70 million home in Beverly Hills. He had plenty of his own stuff, and yet he was empty and longing for true community. Hospitality shows us what it looks like for us to invest our lives in the right things. I know this is an extreme example with Pearson. But it shows us what we often spend so much of our hard effort and put so much time into. In the end, doesn't deliver. But with community and the hard work of hospitality, that's where meaning is found. Notice the second part of verse 9. He says, show hospitality, but he says, without complaining. Why do you think he adds that? Maybe it's because the closer we let people into our schedule and our space and our stuff, the more we complain. <laughs> Maybe not out loud, we don't complain about it, but inwardly we're like, wow, this is getting uncomfortable. People are all up in my stuff and how is, I need my space. It's hard. Hospitality like this brings out all the inconvenience and the messiness of life and more. To open your life to other people in relationship and in community is to risk getting into this messiness and having to work through all the issues of boundaries and sacrifice and love. These are not easy things. Let me share a few illustrations. If you're a business owner and you want to have the safest store possible, the safest business, never get broken into, never have any suspicious characters wander in, never have any threat of a litigious customer coming in to your place of business, then the best thing you can do is just never open for business. Or if you want to keep the cleanest, most pristine house, the most beautiful house ever, don't have any pets, don't have any kids even. They're pretty messy. Don't have any people that you invite into your house or have any parties ever. Then you'll have wonderfully clean house. Proverbs 14.4 says it like this. 
Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. It's the way the Bible is saying, if you want the benefit of the ox, then you have to clean up the mess of the ox. And it's the same with people. Community is difficult and messy because people are broken and messy and we are broken and messy. But Peter and the rest of the New Testament says, hospitality. If we want the abundant crops of hospitality and the blessings of community, we have to learn to show hospitality to others, open our schedule, open our space and our stuff to other people. That's when the blessing floods in. The reason why hospitality was such a strong emphasis in the early church and a requirement for church leaders, this was a requirement for elders in the church, was because this is what it looked like for Jesus to build community. This is how he did it. He was partying with strangers all the time. Luke 7, 34 says, the son of man, this is what Jesus said, this is what you're saying of me. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The early Christians in the early church said, we're going to take your cue, Jesus. We understand the home is the central place of ministry and mission. The practice of hospitality in the early church involved two different groups. It involved strengthening the, the Christian community and building friendships with your neighbors, your coworkers, and your friends to introduce them to the gospel and to your Christian community. That's how the gospel grew and flourished in the first century because the church was the most open the most hospitable community in the first century. And that was their goal. I have another game I want to play. This game is called Where Is This Written? I want to share this quote. Where is this written? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Go ahead. Who's got it? All right. You guys knew that one. The Statue of Liberty. I had never really read those words before. Those are powerful words of hospitality. These words should be on the door of every church. These words should be a part of the ethos of our lives and of our families power of hospitality. Peter says that's what it looks like to live an open life. Lastly and thirdly, he says, this is how to live a more open life. You, you might say, okay, I'm convinced. I see I need community. Love is important. It's, it's a priority. Opening up my schedule and space and stuff, I can do that better. It's not easy building a gospel community. Peter says it's going to involve forgiveness and there's going to be sin. It's going to be complaining. I'm going to complain sometimes about this. So how do I take these steps to living into community and showing hospitality? Peter, I think, shows us how in verse 10. He gives us some steps. Two major ways, he says. Number one, go from disillusionment to stewardship. And then he'll talk about going from vertical to horizontal. Let's look at this first one. Go from disillusionment, disillusionment to stewardship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
has written an incredible book, had written an incredible book on gospel community called Life Together. He says, disillusionment is a necessary step toward building true community. Here's what he said. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight. The sooner the shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and a community, the better for both. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. He's talking about how we often have what he calls a wish dream of the perfect community, perfect family, a perfect church, a perfect workplace, whatever the community might be. And he says the only way to get past our disappointment and disillusionment that this community isn't perfect. It's not giving me everything that I wish it would. It has problems, it has issues, it has sinfulness, brokenness, and messiness. He says, you have to walk through that disillusionment. That's a good thing. Don't go off and look for another community and say, maybe because I'm disillusioned with this one, I need a different one. Walk through the disillusionment. And I think Peter is saying, that will take you to a place of stewardship. Keep loving, keep showing hospitality. This is actually, Peter says, a matter of stewardship. It's only when you see that what you've been given, the community that God has placed you in, and the gifts he's given to you to pour into that community, only when you have that perspective can you find the community that you long for. And can the community become more of what you hope it will be. Stewardship is the place to start in opening our lives. To realize that your life, your resources, the unique way that God has designed you and wired you to serve and to bless others, all that is not yours, but it is God's and he's given it to you to pour into community. Imagine this with me, if someone dear to you was on their deathbed and they said, come close, I have something I want to give you. I have a million dollars that I want to give you. And I trust you. I want you to use this to do good for others and for the betterment of our community. And you say, of course, I'll take it. I'll take it and I'll do that. But then you take it and you start thinking, they wouldn't mind if I got a new car with this. You know, that, that benefits the community. It'll help me get around better in the community. And I should buy a bigger house in this community with this money. If you did that, I would imagine you would experience a sense of guilt, maybe a sense like this is not right. The analogy is not perfect, but when Jesus ascended to heaven, he took his perfect gifts and he said, I'm going to distribute these to all those who believe in me. I'm going to give them pieces of my grace and my gifts in order that they might build a community that reflects my grace and my glory wherever they find themselves. That's the perspective of stewardship. Often we're saying, I'll pour myself into community. I'll open up myself into community when I find the right one. And Peter says, no. Steward the gifts you've been given. That's how a healthy community is created. Lastly and finally, I think Peter would tell us we need to go from vertical 
into horizontal. The next verse that I didn't print out in the bulletin is there for you on the screens. Following after verse 10, Peter says, Whoever speaks, speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, the strength, the power, the ability to love, to show hospitality, to serve as stewards does not come from ourselves. It's the strength with which God supplies. It comes from outside of ourselves. In order to live like this with each other, we first have to remember how the gospel is a story about community. How the gospel is a story of how God opened the community of himself to us. At the very heart of the universe is community. Before there was anything that existed ever, there was community. This is what we believe as Christians when we talk about the doctrine of the Trinity. God as Trinity exists eternally as a perfect, loving, hospitable, serving relationship with himself. Mysterious and hard for us to grasp, but this is how the Bible describes him. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a relationship of love and service and welcoming and joy. God didn't need to create us to love and to serve. He's always loved and served. It's who he is. He is a perfect communion. He is a perfect community. And this joy that he has in and of himself is the fundamental reality of the entire universe. It is what was before anything existed. And he's made us in his image to be brought into this loving and serving and welcoming community. To live in relationship with him, in that joy, and then to reflect that with our relationship with each other. It's what we were made for. But sin is choosing to close ourselves off to that community. It's choosing the way of independence. It's choosing the way of self-reliance. It's choosing the way of self-governing ourselves. And the result of our choice to close ourselves off to this is our separation and alienation from God and each other. But in order to bring us back into this community, God had to open up a way to make it possible. And in, Je in Jesus, he did. In Jesus, we see an eager, enduring love that paid the price to cover our sins. In Jesus, we see radical hospitality, that Jesus left the perfect communion he had with the Father to come to those who had been estranged from him to bring us back into the family. In Jesus, we see perfect service, even when it meant he would experience the loss of that delight, the loss of his eternal joy in community with the Father on the cross so that we could be brought in. The way Jesus opened our way back to God is the power, is the strength, is the dynamic we need in our lives in order to open our lives to each other. Just a few final thoughts of application to close. As we think about what this looks like to put it into practice, I just want to close with a few practical thoughts. And the first one is don't think big in opening up your life more to community and hospitality, but start small. 
Start by being a good steward of the opportunities God has already given to you. So one, just start with those closest to you. And for some, this actually could be your spouse or even your kids. Sometimes the way that we live and the rhythms of our lives, we become strangers to each other. Strangers to our husband or wife. Our kids are so busy and, and over scheduled that we become strangers to our own kids. So carve out time in your schedule and, your, and, and create space to share life and to reconnect. Steward the opportunities that God has already given closest to you. And in our church, leverage the opportunities of technology. Throughout the week, send each other texts and emails. Open up your home and invite each other over. Make the home, your home, a center of ministry and mission. And with those who don't know Jesus, friends and neighbors you would like to bring in to the love of the gospel, just do normal stuff with the people already in your life. Be that person at the office who eats lunch with his coworkers. Organize his lunch. Go out with coffee with other people. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. Open up your home. Throw a block party. Invite some from church to attend with those other people in your life. These are ways we can open up our lives more fully and experience the rhythm of the gospel, opening up our lives to community and to hospitality. And there, as Peter says, Surprisingly see in the simple and the everyday the glory of God, slowly but surely shining and breaking in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these three challenging yet inviting rhythms that you call us to practice ways that we can show grace, ways that we can experience grace. And I pray for each of us that you would, you would challenge us and you would encourage us. You would encourage us to look around and see the people with whom we can start with. That you would remind us and refresh us about the gifts and the grace you have given to us that we can pour back in to others. And I pray that we would be again amazed and astounded, that though we have closed ourselves off to you, that you have brought us back in to the eternal community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even when we were running, even when we were resisting, you broke through, and in your love, you brought us back. We give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.